Good morning, my name is Trevor, and I'm going to do the Bible reading this morning, and you'll find which comes from Revelations chapter 3, verses 7 to 13. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command, to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, good morning, friends. As I said before, my name is Scott. Uh, Really glad to be with you this day. Um, And what a lovely day it is outside too, right? Happy Father's Day. So. Crocodiles, they are dangerous, right? No argument there. Check out this video. I came across it in the past week. Um, Here's a crocodile, and there right next to him is a guy fishing, and he's what? Five, six metres away. This massive crocodile, this huge thing. This crocodile here is, is, is dangerous. But the one good thing about this is the danger is, is clear and obvious. You can see it with your eyes. And you know what to do, right? Or at least you know what you should do. Apparently someone didn't. Um, uh, so I saw this video and then, well, YouTube, the algorithm must have figured out, figured out that I didn't mind watching videos about crocodiles, so it sent me another one. Here's, uh, here's another video. Um, here's, there's a couple of people, this is it's a longer video, two people up in the Northern Territory and they're spearing uh, for barramundi just amongst the shallows near the logs, and they're about to go down in the logs there and spear for some more barramundi until they realise what's down there. Can you see it? Yeah. Yeah. Another huge croc, just hidden kind of in, in, in amongst, uh, beneath the surface, in amongst the logs down there, just waiting for them to get close enough to come in so he can have some lunch. And as dangerous as the first crocodile is, The second one is even more so, isn't it? Because you can't see it. It's hidden. And that makes the danger even more dangerous. So we're partway through our our series in Revelation. We've called it Dear Church because we're looking at the book of Revelation. There's this part of it where there's seven letters to seven ancient churches. Uh, And today we're at the church in Philadelphia, though don't think the city in the United States. This is an ancient city back in a place that's now modern-day Turkey. 
And for many of the churches that we've looked at already, they've had um, clear and obvious dangers that are lurking. But that's not the case here for the church in Philadelphia. For them, there's a hidden danger, and because it's hidden, it's far more, it's far more risky for them. And I want to say today, I think the thing that's dangerous for them is actually a, it's something that many of us are feeling as well. So let's get into it and see what's going on here. Uh, the ancient city of Philadelphia, it was, a, it was a kind of a wealthy place. So there was um, good soil in the surrounding countryside. And so people grew lots of grapes out there. Think a wine region like the Barossa or something like that. But it was also a city where things felt insecure. About 70 years before this letter from Jesus first came to them, there was a big earthquake. It was felt all across this part of the world, particularly though the cities that were felt it were Philadelphia and just above it there, Sardis. Uh, a lot of Philadelphia was ruined. And at this point, many people moved out to the countryside. Perhaps they started to grow some grapes then um, because so much of the city was just destroyed. Uh, even though the city was eventually rebuilt, there was a lot of kind of minor earthquakes, smaller things that just kept cracking and breaking stuff throughout the city. So here's what um, one of the uh, ancient Greek historians, his name was Strabo, this is what he said about it, uh, about the, the city of Philadelphia. The walls never cease being cracked. Different parts of the city are constantly suffering damage. That's why the actual town has few inhabitants, but the majority live as farmers in the countryside as they have fertile land. Now, after he wrote that, some people had moved back into the city. More people were living there. But that's life in this place, Philadelphia. Life feels uncertain. It's insecure. And in this ancient city, there's a church. And this church, they are a wonderfully faithful church. Uh, Just look at how verse 8 describes them again. Verse 8, it says they're obedient. They kept Jesus' word. They didn't deny Jesus. In verse 10, uh, they endured patiently. That's been a wonderfully faithful church, this one. But amongst all this praise, there comes what I think is is also a danger. I'm going to read out verse 8 again and see if you can spot where the danger is here. Here it is. Jesus says to them, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you've kept my word and have not denied my name. Do you see there what the danger is for them? It's not the clear and obvious danger like some of the other churches had. For them, it was things like false teaching, Intense persecution coming their way, worldliness creeping in. But those, 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 those dangers are clear and obvious. But this one for Philadelphia, it's, it's not quite like that, is it? It's harder to spot. So what is it? Again, verse 8, Jesus says, I know that you have little strength. Again, here's a church that's been wonderfully faithful. They have fought hard to make sure they live for Jesus And in doing so, they've now got little strength. They've grown tired and weary. Which sounds like so many people today, right? Don't you know what it's like to run on empty? To have 
very little energy left in the tank. I remember having COVID a couple of times probably in the past year, I think. And for me, can I tell you the biggest way I felt it was that you didn't get to sometimes two o'clock, sometimes one o'clock in the afternoon. And all I wanted to do was go back to bed again, or at least put the feet up and not have to do any thinking or anything, do anything important. Did anyone else kind of get that from COVID too, where you just, it just levels you, right? Of course, it doesn't have to be COVID. There's plenty of things that tire us out. If you work long, long hours, no doubt you're tired. If you're not able to sleep, something's keeping you up, no doubt you're tired. If life is just constant and busy, you're tired. When you deal with things that drain you, relationships that are draining, workplace issues that are just you end up being tired. So what is it for this church in Philadelphia? What's tired them out? Is it the earthquakes keeping them up at night, stopping them from sleeping? Is it that they've been out harvesting all day, harvesting the grapes in their fields, and they come home and they're just, oh, all they can do is collapse into the couch? Well, no, no, no. But actually, look back in the passage and we see the answer there. Uh, verse 8, we're told that they've kept Jesus' word. They didn't deny his name, which tells us, though, there's pressure on them. There's pressure on them to disobey. There's pressure on them to deny Jesus. And it seems that that pressure has been coming mostly from the local Jewish population. So if you look at verse 9, this is again Jesus talking to them, and this is what he says. I'll make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I'll make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Now, a synagogue, this is a place where Jewish people meet, and it's described there, isn't it, as a synagogue of Satan. And you hear that, and you might be thinking, well, hang on, that can't be right. Like, Jewish people, they're proud worshippers of God. They're not Satan, that's not what they're on about. And can I say, you'd be 100% right. Um, it would be abhorrent for a Jew to worship Satan. But Jesus is not saying here that that's literally what they're doing. He's not saying that the, the synagogue has turned into some place where they just do all sorts of occult kind of things. No, no. But Jesus is saying that they are opposing God's work just like Satan does. That's what he's about. He's about opposing God's work, and that's what the Jewish people here are doing in this city. And you think, well, how could that be? Aren't the Jews supposed to love God? And I, I want to say here, the Jews in this synagogue, no doubt, they are very devout and they're devoted to what they're doing. But Jesus' point here is that they've misunderstood God because they've misunderstood Jesus. In fact, if you read through the Gospels, you see this all through Jesus' life. Many Jews, and especially some of the Jewish religious leaders, they were not on board with Jesus. They opposed him. They didn't accept who he was, and they didn't listen to his words. Now, for the for Jews of this time, uh, belonging to God had nothing to do with Jesus. Um, for, for Jews, belonging to God was about doing the right kind of thing. You know, you, you, you did the right kind of thing. That was what got you in, the, in, in with God. So you kept the Old Testament laws and made your sacrifices, and you do, do, do these things, and um, that puts you right with God, makes you acceptable to God. But Jesus kind of comes into this world and he says, no, but belonging to God is not about what you do. It's actually about me, about Jesus, and about what he has done for us. Not do, but done. Jesus says we could never, we could never keep the laws in the Old Testament. That's, 
Our hearts are just bent out of shape. We can't do that. And so instead, Jesus comes and he does everything for us. He lives keeping the law, but then he dies for us. He dies as a sacrifice for sin, to to die in our place to bring us forgiveness. Jesus, he's done it all. And so he says then, do you want acceptance from God? Well, don't go and try and do it yourself and, 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 and do what you can. No, no, you don't need to do it yourself. You need to trust that I've done it for you. It was a radical message, Jesus said. And uh, the message started to spread after his life on earth. Um, you see, God's work now was to bring all sorts of people from all sorts of backgrounds to become believers in Jesus, to have their sin forgiven by Jesus. And so people go around and they kept going through the world telling people this message and eventually some people got to Philadelphia, this city. And as they tell, they tell people about Jesus there, the message of forgiveness through Jesus, and when the Jews hear it, the Jews in this city opposed it. So in a sense, you see there, they were against what God is doing. They're opposing God's work. And in doing so, they were opposing God's people as well. And so here we have in Philadelphia a church that is under pressure. There are calls for them to not live by Jesus. There are calls for them to deny Jesus. But as we've seen, friends, this was a wonderfully faithful church. They have persevered through all of that. They've stood strong despite the pressure. And we look at this and we must think, Crikey, what an example for us today, huh? What an example for us. But all this has taken its toll. Now they have little strength and they're tired. This puts them in a dangerous position. As we know from experience, don't we, um, when you're tired... Don't you find it just a little bit harder to do the thing that's right? And when I'm tired, I find it's, it's so much easier for me to be a cranky dad than to be a calm dad. It's harder when you're tired to do what you know is right. As being tired puts us in a dangerous place, and that has implications for our Christian lives, for our lives as believers. Because when we're tired, well, it's, it's harder to resist temptation. It's easier just to sin. It's harder to stand firm and be different. When you're tired, it's easier just to be like everyone else. When you're tired, it's easier to get cranky and harder to love. When you're tired, it's easier to drift away rather than stick with Jesus. And it's not that you ever mean to do any of those things, right? But it's just that that being faithful to Jesus, it's not always easy. It can be a battle. And the battle makes you tired. And that leaves you vulnerable. So what can we do then? What kind of things keep us going even when we're tired? Well, I've just got three quick things I want to suggest here. I'm sure there's more. And I reckon this would be a wonderful thing to keep talking about with each other afterwards. 
Um, but here are at least, at least three things to keep, that help you keep going as a believer, even when you're tired. Here's the first one. Habits. Develop good habits. These are things that you do all the time, so it just becomes a normal part of your life. That way, when tiredness comes and when you're vulnerable, you're more likely to just keep doing the things that you've always done. So you build good habits. And here I mean just the simple and obvious things. Things like habits of praying and habits of reading the Bible and habits of being at church and habits of repenting of sin and habits of praising God. And just whatever it is that feeds into your Christian life, develop those habits. And can I say too, if you want more ideas on this, uh, can I say, go on our website, look up the talks from January. We spent four weeks looking at four key spiritual habits for our lives and some really practical stuff in there. I recommend going back and have a listen to some of those again. That's the first one, habits. Second thing, how do you keep going as a Christian even when you're tired? I want to say accountability really helps here. And what I mean by that is just having a good friend, someone that you trust, and letting them ask the hard questions to you. Things like, how's your faith been growing recently? Have you been putting up with sin or putting it to death? How have you been feeling towards Jesus recently? What's your prayer life been like in the last couple of weeks? Let them ask you these kind of questions so that when you are tired and if you've started drifting, you'll have a close friend there who knows then, who knows what's going on, who can pray for you, who can call you back, who can help you out when, when you need it. I want you to know, friends, I do this. Um, this is something I do. Every few weeks or so, I uh, talk on the phone to Vino. Vino is a good friend from my Bible college days. Uh, we just spend an hour or so chatting, um, and he's free to ask me anything that he wants. And I do the same for him. And honestly, I can tell you, it's something I've found really helpful um, in, in, in keeping my faith going. Um, habits, accountability. Third thing then, though, uh, community. And by this, I particularly mean church community. There are times in life when we're tired. It makes us vulnerable. But do you know what happens in church community? We get built up by one another. That's what church community does. We get built up by one another. Uh, it might be a conversation after church, something you never intended to do, but you happen to find yourself chatting with someone and they say something that spurs you along in your Christian faith. Or maybe someone's up the front and they share a bit about their story and just something they says connects with you and it reminds you to keep pushing on. It could be any number of things, but part of belonging to a church is that we build one another up. We strengthen one another in the faith. And so church community is something that helps us keep going when we're tired. So there it is. Three ideas. Keep chatting about more ideas you have after over a coffee and a donut. Um, just quickly, though, before we go on, I wanted to speak to the dads for a moment. And not just the dads, but if you've got that role in someone else's life where you're a father figure for them, I want to talk to you, to, just to you guys for a moment. Fellas, um, there's probably a lot on your plate. In fact, if you're, the, if, you've got the dad, if you're the dad of young kids, I guarantee there's a lot on your plate right now. Um, I would imagine you're tired. 
So today I just want to say one simple thing to you, and here it is. No matter how tired you get, please don't stop investing in your kids. Don't stop being being there for them. And especially, please don't stop investing in the faith of your kids. I'm saying this as much to me as I am to anyone else here. Uh, Men, our, our kids need us to be examples for them and to lead them in their lives of faith. So please don't leave it up to the Trinity Kids program out here. They're great. And what they do out there is fantastic, but it's no replacement for you. Please, men, don't try and outsource this part of your kid's life to a Christian school. A Christian school can never fill the space that you have in their life. Can I say again, friends, don't expect your spouse to be the one who does it all here. You've got to be in it with them. Our kids, they need us, men. They need us to be involved in their faith. So no matter how tired we are, can we, can, let, let, let's be those who don't stop doing this. Okay, back into the passage. We've got here the church in Philadelphia, a wonderfully faithful church, but a tired church. So check out what Jesus promised them. Jesus gives a number of promises. In fact, most of this letter is filled with promise to them. Get them to looking ahead to what's coming. Check out what Jesus says. And it starts back with who Jesus is in. Back in verse 7, look at that. Jesus is the one who holds the key of David. And you think, well, that kind of sounds strange, doesn't it? Who's this David guy? And why did Jesus steal his car or something? What's going on here? But no, no, no. It take, this is taking us back to the Old Testament. And David in the Old Testament, of course, is the great king of Israel's history. And God promised David a descendant, one that would come from his family, who would rule forever, who would establish God's kingdom in its fullness. And this one would be called the Messiah. And that's what we're seeing Jesus is here. He's the descendant of David. He is the one who has the key of David, so that what he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. That is. Jesus is the one who opens up God's kingdom to us, right? Now we can go in, accepted by God. Because remember, Jesus died for our sin. Our sin can be forgiven. And, and for the church in Philadelphia, Jesus is saying, um, nothing can change this. No one can change it. The door is permanently open. Verse 8, the door is open. No one can shut it. And this idea, this idea of, of something being certain and permanent and secure, it keeps going through the letter. So down in verse 12, Jesus makes a promise to those who stick with him, and he says that they will be a pillar in the temple of my God. And the idea isn't they just stand there bored out of their brains for all eternity, but, but it's, it's the idea of permanently being with God. Again, it says later on in verse 12, never will they leave it. And Jesus says there'll be three names written on them in verse 12. Firstly, God's name, showing they belong to God. Secondly, the, the, the name of the city of God, showing that they're citizens of heaven, that's where they belong. And thirdly, Jesus' new name, because it's by Jesus that all of this is possible. And again, it's the idea of permanence here, a name written on them, like, like a tattoo, it stays there forever. And so you think about these people who have lived in this city, where there's been so much upheaval and insecurity when earthquakes 
destroy buildings and keep you on edge all the time. To this church, Jesus promises something that isn't going to crumble or break. He promises them security, something that will last. He's promising them eternity with God in heaven. So, amidst their tiredness and and the insecurity that life so often holds for them, what do they need to do then? Verse 11, Jesus says, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. He says, I'm coming. Don't give up. Don't let go. Hold on to what you have. Last week, I saw something that I thought was terrifying. Um, let me explain. So there's parts of Pakistan, right, where they have huge mountains, mountainous area, mountain here, there, everywhere. Uh, and in these parts of the Pakistan, it's hard to get around everywhere. Like if you live on the top of this mountain, you want to go over to that mountain. Well, you've got to go all the way down your mountain, across the valley, and up the next one. And Well, that just takes a lot of time and a lot of energy. So people live in these places. They've built cable cars that go from this mountain to that mountain. And it's wonderful that, you, that, 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 that the four-hour journey down this mountain, across the valley, and up the other mountain, now it just becomes a 10-minute cable car ride with a scenic view. People use them all the time. Kids going to work, kids going to school, people going to work. But did you see on the news last week, one of these cable cars was going between the two mountains and two of the cables snapped. And this cable car is left dangling on the one remaining cable line and all that's under them is 365 metres down to the valley below. And just, just check out some of the, um, the footage here. Uh, it's, it's terrifying. I think we've missed it. It's not there. Never mind. Um, it's terrifying. You can see the cable car there and the, and the... Here we go. There's the footage. It's incredible. Imagine being one of these people there. Six students, two adults. It's got to be terrifying. But there was good news for them. Help was on the way. Rescuers were coming. Hope was not lost. So what they had to do was hang on. Don't let go. Hang on. It was a daring rescue. It took quite a lot of time. Some people were in the cable car there for about 14 hours. Can you imagine how tiring that would be? Not letting go the whole time? In the heat of the day. Can you imagine how sapped they would be of their energy and strength? But still, what they needed to do was not let go. It was to hang on. And they did. All eight of them were rescued. That is what Jesus is calling this church to do this ancient church in Philadelphia. He's saying, I'm coming. So hang on. I know it's tough and I know you're tired, but hang on. 
And as we read this letter all these years later, that's what we're called to do as well, friend. Perhaps you're tired. Perhaps you have little energy. Hang on. Friends, hold on to what you have. It's reminding us of what Jake said to us last week. Remember the gospel. I don't let go of it. What do you need to do to, to make sure you hang on, friend? Is it building good habits that keep your faith growing? Is it being accountable to a trusted friend so they'll catch you if you're drifting away? Is it ensuring that you stay part of a church community because it's together that we build up and strengthen each other? Whatever it is, friends, whatever it takes, hang on. Jesus is coming. So as you hang on, look ahead to what is secure, your permanent and eternal home with your God. Let me pray that God would give us the strength to hang on. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you know our weaknesses, you know our tiredness, and you know when we're in moments of little strength. So please hear our prayer now. Give us the strength we need, please, Father, to hang on. We love Jesus. We don't want to let go of what you've given us in him. Please help us hang on. Please help us have the strength to do the little things and the big things so that we will hang on. We need your help in this. Please be with us now and always, Father, we ask. In Jesus' name. Amen.